Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Barcelona through, Ajax through. What an incredible morning of Champions League action on Optus Sport today. And the best news is there's still more to come. David Wiener with you for another episode of the Gagan Pod as we run through the Champions League action and all the weird and wacky stuff in the world of football. What a great morning. Thomas Sorensen, how are you? I'm good. The weather's good. We're and some good football this morning. Absolutely fantastic. Craig Moore, how are you holding up? Early alarm clock for all of us this morning. Yeah, but we're watching fantastic football, so uh, getting up and, and watching that sort of stuff, um, bring it on. Brilliant. Now, if the Gegenpod had uh, anyone in mind when the name was being thrown around the office a couple of months ago, uh, we're delighted to say that uh, that man is, is here for his Gegenpod debut today. Ned Zellick, welcome to Optus HQ, where we're sitting, uh, standing in the middle of a sunny, open t- open office talking football. How good? We are, we are, and it's good to be here. Uh, alarm clock went off at 2 a.m., and here we are now, just munching on some delicious ham and cheese croissants, <laughs> and uh, and getting the coffees into us. Mate, they're famous. They're famous parts of the gag and pod. Now the, the croissants that we get before. How's that compare? A bit different to sideline on the camp new earlier in the season for Optus Sport, huh? It is, but uh, it's good to mix it up, isn't it? I mean, obviously enjoyable being on uh, various sidelines, New Camp, uh, San Siro, Mestalla. In Valencia was uh, exceptional, uh, but it's good to be here with you guys. What was the highlight of the of the first part of the season for you travelling abroad? We saw some of your travel documentaries too, as well. Your, your goal on the Barcelona beach, which was good fun. Yeah, I mean, just uh, you know, obviously being sideline and, and soaking up the atmosphere at, at different games. But it was a lot of fun doing different stories too. I thought the Dortmund story, uh, just on the junior development side of things, was really interesting. But also um, getting to go to Naples. And uh, I thought that story was superb as well, just showing uh, a football mad city and, uh, and just the club that Napoli is. Yeah, we've absolutely loved all of them and, and, and more to come, hopefully. Well, gents, we'll start off with what was our main game this morning, Barcelona-Manchester United. Probably the result and the outcome everyone expected. Um, Lionel Messi, absolutely brilliant and majestic yet again. What did you learn from that game, Thomas? Uh, what, can we, what can we learn about Barcelona and Manchester United after that convincing victory? No, I thought Man United... Went into the game very positively. They changed the formation, went to, you know, the four at the back. Um, and, and that early pressure they, they put up, they pressed Barcelona really, really high. And they forced a few errors uh, and a few chances in the first five, ten minutes. And should have taken them uh, because it came back to haunt them. And, uh, and Barcelona did the same to them, uh, pressed them. Ashley Young made a mistake and then uh, Messi... Did his brilliance, uh, fantastic first goal, um, and and from then on, uh, jumped to De Gea's massive mistake for the second. It was game over, and and uh, you know Barcelona just ran out again, a little bit like they did against Lyon, just rolling teams over, and and uh, you know they were deserved winners. How do you beat them, Craig? Are they? We'll talk about all the teams in the next few minutes, but um, after today, uh, you know, are they? I mean, are they the team to beat? Well, uh, look, the. They've been in really good form uh, throughout this season. Um, you know, Messi um, 
we can, you know, we can have a, a podcast just yeah. on Messi if we're, if we're honest. You know, the, the the type of player and what he delivers week in, week out, in every competition. Um, but Barcelona have just they, they they have the depth as well. You know, they they have um, you know players that can hurt you all over the football park. You know, you got Jordi Alba, the left fullback, and I don't know how many times he ends up in fantastic attacking positions inside left uh, attacking areas, um, assisting. Um, look, they were. Obviously, good for their their win today. Man United did have a, a positive start to the game, um, and and I guess at the level um, they couldn't capitalise early doors, and and then you know obviously a couple of goals later uh, and the bad mistake by De Gea and, and the game sort of like really become cruise control for for Barcelona, um, and probably just shows at the moment the. Um, you know the gap between the, the the top top teams, and I think Barcelona are that. They have got a fantastic opportunity, but there's a, there's a few more teams that obviously will think exactly the same thing. Man United, they have some work to do, but I think that that was clear when Ole Gunnar Solskjaer come in anyway. I don't think I've ever seen a team piece together a Champions League campaign as impressive as Barcelona yeah, this right. season. I mean, you go through the goals that they've scored, uh, the the five against Lyon. Uh, the four goals against Spurs, the four against PSV Eindhoven. And the quality of these goals are just absolutely sensational. The lead-up play, everything, the finishing. And this side is, for me, and I've said it early on, because I, I, I saw them play um, against Inter, uh, both games actually, and they were two games without Messi, and they were impressive. Yeah. And uh, for me... Clearly, they play the most intelligent football from, from all the other teams. And that's not being disrespectful to the other sides, but they are just the level above. And this is with a Coutinho who's been criticised from pillar to post as well. And he comes off and scores that beautiful goal this morning as well. Just a thought, because we'll talk about Ajax in a second, but they're going to have Frankie de Jong in that mix next year too. I mean, how good does that, ha- how good does that midfield look with him in there? Well, that's going to be interesting. I don't know what you guys think, but you've got guys in there, Rakitic, uh, Busquets, uh, Artur. They've, they've been playing a, a massive role this season and contributed to, uh, to this team playing absolutely sensational football. So it'll be interesting to see how they fit him in. I mean, I can't imagine they'd bring him over and, uh, and not play him, but uh, there's, there's a real competition for places there now. Manchester United, Thomas, it's, it's uh, back to the drawing board to a certain extent for them because after all the positive start, they're still now in a fight for that top four now. Uh, time to look at and take stock about what's going on. What's the reality right now for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer? Yes, he's got the tenure. What now does he have to do to now convince everyone and to actually get this job done to, to overhaul Manchester United and get them back where they need to be? I think the main thing for him is he's had time now to, to, to assess his squad. You know, what players does he want to keep? Um, because he is sort of looking at a sort of a rebuild in some sort of form. You know, he needs to overhaul the squad. He needs to put his stamp on it. So the players, and he knows that now, who he doesn't want to be around, who doesn't fit his philosophy. But he has a, a, a very good young nucleus of, of players that, uh, you know, can, can be great for United in, in many years to come. But he needs to find the players now to come in and, and, and you know, some star players and, and some, some, some squad players uh, that fit that United philosophy that I think a lot of people think that they've lost a little bit over the last five, ten years since Alex Ferguson left and, and, and other managers have tried. And, and he's trying to bring that back and he needs that you know, Man United uh, ethos to, to run through that squad and, and that'll be the job. Does he need to convince still though in terms of uh, we know that they can play on the counter-attack but you know, on the weekend they were, they were pretty ordinary against West Ham. Um, <laughs> 
what does he need to do to, to overhaul them back to that Manchester United way? And, and I might add, how much of it does he need to go back to that Manchester United way? And how much does he need to sort of stamp his own identity on it too? So it's not always my goal at Camp Nou. Fergie said this, always looking at the past. There was a story this week that he, and I don't know if it's true or not, but he said he's not parking in the manager's car spot at Carrington because that belongs to Fergie. To what extent does he need to find that balance too, Craig? Yeah, look, I think Man United for a long, long time have had that shadow of Sir Alex Ferguson uh, hanging over the football club. There's been a lot more experienced managers than Ole Gunnar Solskjaer that, that have come in and... Um, and, and haven't really played that brand that Manchester United were known for. Yeah, that that, that entertaining, um, never say die attitude. Um, you know, always opportunities, scoring, last minute action, uh, and, and most importantly, winning trophies. Uh, I think it's very clear that the the club is is rebuilding. They've they've invested in Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, and I said I'm pretty sure that they will invest in their squad. Um, but yeah, no, it's a good question in terms of. You know, you've got to you've got to be your own man. Yeah, he's got to put his stamp on that football club now because that's what's going to be very important. The type of players, uh, you know, he was also a player that maybe didn't start loads of games, but he knew what it was about to, to be involved with a with a very big football club. He knew his role as a player. He come on and always made an impact and scored goals. He knows what it's like to, to have a squad together and have that balance net of players being mm. explosive on the field and delivering, but also having a deeper squad. And you need, you need a deeper squad if you're going to be challenging. I feel that they're going to have to bring in uh, a few top-quality central defenders. They need creativity in midfield, and, and they need to mix their game up. I mean, if you look at the teams that are really su- successful at the moment, you've got Man City, you've got Liverpool, you've got Barcelona, for example. They can maintain possession, be creative, break teams down, but they're extremely dangerous on the counter-attack as well. So that, that's why you have to be able to... Uh, to mix it up and really um, be able to deliver in both departments. Do you think United actually are capable of being that proactive, aggressive team at the moment? Because even though there's been this wonderful uh, feel around the club, when you actually break it down, a lot of it has actually been soaking stuff up and hitting on the break, which is the only difference to Mourinho is that there's a bit more positivity around it. No, exactly right. And that's where, you know, they have to try to dominate games better and that's really where you need players to come in who are creative on the ball that can that can keep the ball in midfield and that automatically allows you to get your full backs forward and, and play that um, really proactive positive game so that's certainly something that's missing and, and something that they have to work on to rectify four out of the five defenders and goalkeeper today were involved in their 2011 Champions League campaign and started under Sir Alex Ferguson. Is that the biggest area he has to overhaul or is that just part of, or is that just sort of explain how far that recruitment's gone wrong in the last few years where they need a really solid overarching you know, plan to build what they need? Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, looking at, at the defenders, for me, a few of them are squad players at this level. You know, you've got Phil Jones... I think you know some of them like Lindelof. I think has has, has come good. I think he's 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 a good defender. But you know you, you see how much Van Dijk has meant to Liverpool. Now he's come in, and he's taken that defence and and just made it a whole different unit. And and United hasn't got that. You know you look at the the, the United teams of the past with like Yep Stam and you know you go back to Steve Bruce and Pallister. You know those were you know feared units nobody wanted to get up against them and you look at this United team and he's like mm, I quite fancy myself as a striker and, and, and scoring so, so they need to find that rock or a couple of players I, I agree with, with you guys that they need to find them to, to sort of build from the back 
And, just and who, sorry, and who, who, so who does that as well? Because there's been a lot of speculation about a sporting director. 100%. That, yeah, that's like, almost the bigger challenge, isn't it, for the club with that overarching view? I think so. You know, it's like, well, um, you know, there's been a big push in the media there, um, getting some traction. But, yeah, so who is that person that can come in and, and support the manager? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a difficult one, that whole sporting director, head coach, and, and, and where that control is, um, you know, because... You're investing in a, in, a, in a football club, you always want to be looking at the future. Uh, and, and sometimes, just with how brutal our game can be, managers come and go. Um, so you know, clubs are a little bit wary now of, of letting them have full power and control of the, the, the players they're going to look to bring in. So I think this is a you know, watch-your-space kind of moment because I do believe that Manchester United will bring somebody in. Um, and like I said, we know that they need players. What type of players? I don't think it's going to be 100% Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's decision. Another club legend? Uh, Peter Schmeichel put his hand up for it. I don't know whether you can put your hand up and get a job, but is it another <laughs> club legend? Is it a Solskjaer comrade? Is it someone to challenge him? Is it, what would be the best dynamic? You just need a, a great recruiter. You need someone with you know, a, you know, a great understanding of what United needs. Uh, you know, he's got a good relationship with Solskjaer. Um, and and uh, you know has that vision that, uh, know how to how to build uh, and get the players that they need you know it's 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 not easy and I don't know I know Peter's Michael a, a little bit um, I'm not sure if he's he's the right man uh, I don't think he has the experience in that area maybe to do it but who knows um, you know they'll obviously need to to you know it's a job that I, I presume most people with those aspirations want uh, but like we look at like this morning the delict i think for, for me you know if they could get him you know he, he would be a building game block changer. for game changer but you know it looks like he might be going to barcelona somewhere else but you know, I, I would, if I were United, I would fight for him. Well, speaking of Delic, that's a perfect time to turn to what was just a magical, I think a magical uh, game this morning, Ajax getting past Juventus, this after Real Madrid, this after them taking our breath away against Bayern Munich as well, where they had two draws. You can't ask for a team to do anything more in a giant killing run. Let's cut straight to the chase. Ned, can, can they win this thing? I, I don't think so. I said from the start um, that... Barcelona will take it out, but um, certainly they are a team, and we've seen that in, in recent weeks, that can uh, cause anyone problems. There will be phases in the game because they just have so much energy about their play, and, and they're not intimidated as well. I mean, we saw it uh, this morning where they basically outplayed and outclassed Juventus in that second half, where pretty much everyone thought um, eventually Juventus's experience will, will shine through. And that wasn't the case. And, and, you know, I mean, it's great that you got these players who just play with no fear. And they have speed, they have technical ability. And you mentioned it. I mean, what a towering header that was from Delict. So you got players in there that just come out with a real hunger and a ruthless attitude to win the game. And, uh, you know, it's going to be interesting to see uh, what happens with this AX side because I can imagine there are a lot of big clubs there that are looking, we, we want, you know, yep. pretty much the whole team to, uh, to disintegrate because there are so many good players here to sign. And, and when, uh, the, the thing is, it's like, when, when do we stop doubting this, this Ajax team, you know? It's like, I, I know what you're saying, Ned, in terms of, it's still, you look at it, you look at the, you know, potential teams are there and it, it is a big ask. Um, but they, at the moment, they just keep answering questions, don't they? they you know, so, it, it, look, it will be interesting because to go... Um, away from home to, to Juventus and, and, you know, looking at the stats of the game, it wasn't by chance that they got the result, you know. It was a um, really well-deserved result. Uh, it's fantastic to see 
such a, a young group um, of players that, that are just enjoying themselves and they're doing it at the very, very highest level. Be interesting to see whether they've got another conveyor belt of ones coming through because they will need it. They, they, they will be losing some players. Um, but yeah, like, I mean, I've been one of the ones that probably thought, you know, even against Real Madrid, it's going to be too tough for this inexperienced, young, um, fearless team. And then a game uh, against Juventus, and I'm like, well, maybe I, maybe I need to stop doubting them. But the, I mean, the advantage that they have as well is the fact that there's no pressure on them. I mean, no one's expecting them to win these games. I mean, even the group games against Bayern Munich, they came out and took the yeah. game to Bayern, you know, and they should have won that game yeah. in Munich. And, I mean, it's, it's such a comfortable position to be in as well, isn't it? For players to come out, no one's expecting you to win, and uh, you go out and surprise people. Yeah, and the way they've done it. And, like, it most of the players have come through the, the youth system. You know, all the other teams have bought big and uh, big stars and spent a huge amount of money. And, and they've sort of looked for bargains and, and, and got, a, got a few players in. Some, a few, um, you know, Huntelai is still there. So they've got a few experienced players. But mainly it's, it's players that uh, who's, who's been there for a while. And, and um, I think that's great to see. It's a fabulous balance, actually, between a little bit of experience. Someone like Justin Tajik, who's come in and reinvented his career in a, in a marvellous way. And then these youngsters as well. Louis van Gaal, who, of course, was in charge 22 years ago, 23 years ago. Um, a couple of months back said this team is every bit as good. And he now looks very prophetic with that because they are well on their way. So maybe the only weakness is actually the fact that in all these games, they've had to create a bucket load of chances to get those winning goals. Because in truth they could have actually scored two or three before they did score that goal yeah. to go 2-1 up. So maybe that's the only question mark, but that's a pleasant headache to have when you're creating those chances. So they're in line to play the winner of Manchester City or Tottenham, which of course is on Thursday morning uh, here in Australia. So we're not going to go into too much detail on these two games, just in case you do listen to us on Thursday or Friday. But Thomas, prediction in this one, and, and it holds sway as well for Saturday night too, 9.30pm uh, Australian Eastern Standard Time on Optus Sport, where the rematch happens, same venue, same two teams, um, with so much at stake as well. What are you seeing about this doubleheader? Oh, it's uh, it's going to be exciting. That's 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 for sure. Uh, I've tipped you Man City from from the start. Uh, I think they got the team and the squad. Um, again, uh, <laughs> it's still going to be tight. And and Tottenham have been great away from home. Uh, the result they got in, in Dortmund. Um, so, you know, they they won't be pushovers. Obviously, without Harry Kane, but you you will still. Um, imagine that that city has enough um, firepower and, and enough players, and um, that that they can at home get the result um, to to go past. But it, it's it's going to be tight, and, and the same on on, on the Premier League race. Uh, I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> to put my predictions down because anything can happen. Yeah, it's uh, well interesting with Harry Kane. They've played five and actually played five without him and actually won all five. So um, yeah, Son obviously relishes that that role on his own, that responsibility. And and Lucas Moore has thrown his hat in the ring as well. Craig uh, Liverpool Porto is obviously the other one where they're mm. they're two nil up going to the the Portuguese side. Um, Klopp's in the, a very handsome position here, isn't he? And he can and look towards Cardiff on the weekend as well, pretty confidently. Yeah, look, I think we are just uh, you know going off uh, what we've seen in the in the first match. Um, Porto played quite an expansive game and really tried to get after Liverpool, uh, and I think that they left themselves uh, wide open, and Liverpool were able to punish them. Probably two nil flattered Porto in the first leg. Um, they certainly could have uh, come away with a with a far heavier defeat. And to get back into this game and to get back into this tie, they're going to have to be a little bit. Adventurous and a little bit open again, and and I, I think that that's just going to weigh in the favour of Liverpool. I just think that they they've got too much going forward. Uh, they've got you know players that are in form. Salah's really hitting his straps now, um, you know scoring 
goals again, which is important because the, the feeling that he gives him, although he does give a lot to the game without his goals, but to, to have him back in form as well, I think Liverpool are going to be far too strong in this one. Liverpool, Barcelona, we're saying, and oh, tight for Manchester City, Tottenham or Ajax. What's the call? What's the call, Ned? I think uh, Liverpool obviously will get through and uh, Man City have just got uh, too much firepower up front. Oh, but in saying that, credit to Tottenham. They've shown some really good form in away games and, and shown grit as well. Um, like Tom, Thomas mentioned, to win away in Dortmund um, was a fantastic result. But uh, just watching them play um, against Barcelona when they needed uh, a result back then was, uh, was really impressive as well. So you certainly can't count them out, but uh, I just feel in the end Man City will be too strong. In the scheme of the title race, uh, Kevin De Bruyne is back in full fitness. Um, he wasn't played in the, in the first leg against Tottenham at the start and everyone sort of thought, why has uh, Guardiola left him out? Why has he left Leroy Sane out? Um, how key is De Bruyne in this run into the to the to the well, I, to the end. I think he's a, when he's been fit and when he's been involved for Man City, he's a, he's a very influential player. He's had um, you know, a few niggles and, and injuries, so um, you know, Pep Guardiola has had to be patient. And, and, and more importantly, um, you know, De Bruyne's had to be patient because there'll be times where he'll be really, really disappointed. I just feel that come Sunday... We're still going to be talking about the potential um, chances of Man City doing the quadruple because I think that they're going to keep both uh, well and truly alive. I think that um, they are going to be too strong. Um, you know, we speak about Barcelona a little bit early, but Man City are another side that they're just when they're playing the type of football. Um, they've got you know defenders that can score goals. They've got fantastic midfield players. We all know about their uh, attacking areas. Sterling's having a phenomenal season. Um, they're just a joy to watch. So. Like I said, I think the quadruple will still well and truly be alive come Sunday. Would you rather... And you mentioned Mohamed Salah before, and we got a bit of a glimpse head-to-head of him and Eden Hazard on the weekend. Salah got the, got, the, got the goods on that day. Thomas, playing for the title race. Who would you rather have up your sleeve? Would you rather have Mo Salah, who's come back to life, or would you rather have Eden Hazard, who we don't know where he'll be this time next year? I think they're both great players, and, and they both offer you know, something different. I think Salah is probably... More, more direct. Uh, even though Hazard, we saw, you know, at the weekend, that was the week before when he uh, destroyed and, and uh, went on a solo run. And, and you know, he's a he, he's a good player. I would probably Salah at, at top form. I'll probably go for him. He, he's got just that little bit more X factor. I don't know Hazard is, uh, you know, he, he, I feel he, he needs maybe more players around him, and Salah is a little bit sort of someone. Yeah, just a little bit more dangerous, maybe. And the false nine uh, opportunity he gets when he plays there at Chelsea doesn't really seem to favour him mm. in the current setup either, which probably gives him an unfair disadvantage in this head-to-head question. But uh, Ned, in terms of Liverpool going through, just to wrap this up, Salah, the front three are firing at the moment, but behind them now, this is the real tweak that's brought them back to life with Jordan Henderson being unleashed. And I, I was blown away by this that I read that he actually approached Klopp and said, "I want to play more box to box like I used to," and Klopp said. Fair enough, let's try it. And, and it's worked a treat. And he's been able to bring Fabinho in, bring Naby Keita in. And it's almost rather than that little, that little late fire spark uh, to reignite their, their run into the, the big climax, hasn't it? Yeah, and, and that's certainly been um, a huge factor as well. I mean, the fact that there's so much coming from that central midfield area and the distribution has been excellent. And the fact that you can get these players on the ball as well 
and use them as outlets going forward to counterattack. And uh, um, very smart, very intelligent once they do, they really do identify those situations when we can get forward quickly and, and a vertical pass is needed. And um, I just feel that that balance really um, has been, you know, uh, just absolutely massive this season in, in Liverpool being up there and being successful. The sun is blaring down on us here. We can tell you we're working up a sweat for you with this, with this gag and pod, um, as is the title race going down to the wire. So just a reminder, Manchester City for Tottenham, uh, 9.30pm, the Premier League instalment on Saturday night, and Cardiff vs Liverpool, 1am uh, Eastern Time on Monday. Right, EO, then give us an answer. Moving on, Thomas, uh, during the, on the weekend, Diego Simeone was waxing lyrical over his goalkeeper, Jan Oblak, and called him the best in the world. So no better person to ask. The best goalkeeper in the world right now is? Ter Stegen. Um, you know, again, Oblak is, is, is a top keeper as well. But I think Ter Stegen has, has um, you know, he's taken over the mantle for me from, from Neuer. I think Neuer is still obviously a, a, a good keeper. Uh, he's had problems with injuries. He hasn't really captured that aura that he had a, a few years ago. He sort of lost it a little bit, I feel. And uh, he's, he's uh, and I think you just look at Stegen, his all-round game, um, you know, fantastic with the feet. Uh, and then he's got great athletic ability, reads the game well. And, and, uh, and to, to go into Barcelona, you know, there's so many keepers who struggle there, you know, because there's immense pressure. The way they play, there's a lot of you know, open spaces sometimes at the back and, you know, you're sometimes left exposed. But again, you pull off a world-class save today to keep a clean sheet, you know. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Unbelievable. Uh, so for me, and he's done that several times. He did it uh, in Leon as well. He pulled off a fantastic save. Uh, so, you know, for me at the moment, he's in form. How long can Joachim Lowe resist the temptation of uh, keeping Manuel Neuer as number one? I've been asking myself that uh, quite a bit, Dave, and um, he actually has come out, Joachim Lerven, he said, look, uh, I'm, I'm going to basically judge this on what both players are doing. No one really believes that because he uh, just seems to, uh, to be um, uh, committed to basically, you know, um, not binning Manuel Neuer, especially after what he's done for him, won the World Cup. And all the rest. So he's he's remaining loyal to him. But in saying that, uh, I thought it was a bizarre decision not to uh, not to play Ter Stegen at the World Cup. You had Manuel Neuer who was out for eight nine months, and I think that was probably one of his biggest mistakes. Joachim Löw, the fact that he didn't play him for me is the best keeper at the moment. Thomas mentioned it uh, with his feet. I mean, I was sitting there the San Siro when I played against Inter, and the guy really just from that game, his distribution, he could he could put together a highlights reel. Just from what he did with his feet that game. Uh, the pinpoint 30-metre pass is just incredible. And that's a key mark of the bottom keeper as well, isn't it? And that's why your, your Edisons and your Allisons, why they paid so much money for them too. Craig, speaking of big money, Benfica's Yao Felix at the moment is... He's hot property, uh, that's for sure. Was 19 years of age, uh, youngest player uh, to ever score a hat-trick in the Europa League. Uh, also was uh, in the goals at the weekend. I believe his uh, young brother might have even been the ball boy yeah. and there were some great pictures of him celebrating. And he's now uh, been linked uh, to, to two 
very big clubs in Manchester United and Barcelona. Um, Ned and I were discussing offline whether or not we'd try to maybe see if he could get a, a loan deal to Central Coast Mariners. <laughs> I, 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 I don't think that, that that's going to... Just to see if it's really that's gonna any good. That's going to cut the mustard, yeah, and, then, and then maybe he can, <laughs> he, can, he can move to Man United after that. But I think he might, um, he might be going all right and showing that he's, um, he's got a decent level about him. Just a young player. He's taken penalties. He's, you know, we, we speak about now the, the younger players, the Ajaxes, um, you know, and, and a player likes uh, of Jao Felix. And it's just that fearless attitude, you know. Like when we talk about younger players coming in and making uh, debuts and all sorts of stuff, we always talk about how they are. They're, they're, they're quite fearless and, and, and that does, um, you know, produce some some really good quality. And he's he's shown as if he's got all of that. I'm not sure what club he's going to end up at. I don't have the crystal ball, but he's, he, he's going to move and he's going to move to a top club. It's... Hopefully at the right time for him, personally, as a, as a footballer, because we know that he's going to have better years ahead. He's going to play in, uh, in better teams. No disrespect to Benfica. But uh, his next steps uh, as a 19-year-old are going to be very important ones that he makes. But exactly, that'll be the real test, won't it? I mean, his next move. He's blitzing the Portuguese league. He's blitzing the Europa League. Um, but the next test really is, firstly, to make the right decision who to join, to get regular game time, and to perform at uh, a better level as well. 20 involvements in goals through goals or assists in something like 19 games since he's been thrown into the deep end. And, and if you believe the rumour, which you shouldn't, um, he wants to link up with Cristiano Ronaldo at Juventus because he is being touted as the next Ronaldo. So put them together. You, look, you joke about the Mariners, but maybe maybe a club wants to sign his ball boy brother. That would be a starting point, wouldn't it, to, yeah, well. to go after that. But interestingly, though, Ned, the key thing here, you talk about Felix, you talk about the Ajax players, they've given the young guys a crack and those have flourished, and I think that's always an interesting lesson when you see them doing it at the top, top level. You know, that's something that we could embrace too. Sure, but as a young player, you still have to earn it. I mean, you're not going to get a run just because, you know, um, you're young and you've got a bit of potential. You certainly do have to provide the quality that's needed for your team to succeed. And I think that's a really important um, point that, that Ned brings up, and, you know, again, we've uh, all had our experiences, yeah, and... and especially for us when we're going overseas and, and, and you're going to, you know, to these professional clubs after coming from Australia, if you're not better than the, the players that are there, then you know, they're, they're, their discussion with you is very, very simple. It's like, listen, I hope you've enjoyed the experience, son, but you're not for us because you're not better than what we've got. So you're, you're absolutely spot on. The, the, the younger players need to earn the right, you know, and that's how they prepare themselves how they, they present day in, day out at, at training as well. And, and not just being a lot, you know, I see a lot of the younger players that they come in and they're a little bit tentative, which is, which is fine. But at the same time, they've got to try and impose themselves, uh, you know, with, with, within training sessions and show the manager that they deserve the opportunity. Just training with the first team is not enough. But that's, that's the brutal honesty that I actually rated, Maury. I mean, when I first went to Dortmund, uh, the first thing they said, look, you're young, you're 21, we're giving you an opportunity. Back then it was uh, the three foreigner rule. Yep. And they basically said, look, if you're not better than what we have here, our German players, and there's no point in you being here. We'll just, we'll just kick on with, with two foreigners, you know, and bring another German player in. And, and I rated that brutal honesty, and, and that's the way it should be. Yeah, but it all comes down to, to de- development. I think, you know, we're talking about young players coming in. I think young players come in with more maturity nowadays because a lot more pressure, especially in Europe, a lot more pressure is put on, on, a, on an early age. You know, if you go to Manchester City, you know, their academy, you have kids there at six, seven years old that train four or five times a week. 
you know, so they're, they're used to it. You know, they're, they're used to that. Come If you come through that system and you get into the, 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 the talented team or the team just below the first team, you know, you are, you are ready. You know, you've, you've been through the, the, the eye of the needle uh, and, and you've lived with that pressure for, for a long time. So I think these players are more equipped than probably we were when, when we were younger, where it was a little bit more relaxed and, and the competition probably wasn't as fierce and we were a little bit more nervous probably. Ned, Joey Barton, the manager, is... Um, well, you know, we've got to wait for all the facts to really come out. And we've heard there's, there was a bit of an episode um, in their game uh, against Barnsley. Apparently there was a bit of an altercation with uh, the Barnsley coach, uh, Daniel Stendhal. So we're still waiting on uh, the real facts to come out. Apparently uh, Barnsley have put in a complaint and there is an investigation. But, um, you know, I actually thought, I mean, to answer your question, I thought he was, you know, kind of on the road to uh, serenity to, uh, you know, <laughs> to find a bit of calmness in his life. But it seems that things have exploded again. And it could well be that, um, you know, it's another episode of Joey Barton uh, just being totally out of control, l- like we've seen um, him during his playing days. Yeah. Can a leopard ever truly change its spots? A tweet that was deleted from Barnsley's boss said, people like you don't deserve a place in the game of football. You are foul. So there you go. We'll see what happens with Joey and, and, and his coaching future. Just to wrap this up, one Thomas, just on this morning, we saw Cardiff beat Brighton Hove Albion 2-0 uh, in what was a relegation six-pointer. So the question here right now is... Brighton Hove Albion are sinking ship, <laughs> leaky at least uh, until the, you know the momentum is such a great thing. I, I've been in, in relegations battles and and confidence and momentum is is everything. Um, and you can just you know you, just briefly while we were watching the Champions League, you you sort of uh, could see out of the corner of the eye a bit of the, the of that game, and and they just look out of confidence. You know they you know they don't believe. You can just see in the eyes of the players that they've lost a bit of. Uh, yeah, just belief in what they're doing. You know, they had that great cup run, missed, missed, missed the cup final, and then suddenly everything is just derailed. Like losing five uh, nil at the weekend, and then losing two nil here again against. You know, they could have, they could have saved themselves by winning this one, and and suddenly now, you know, Cardiff will start believing, and they'll. You know, it, I, I can see them definitely going down. I can see Cardiff, you know, getting the points needed to, to, to climb above them. Which has come out of nowhere. It's a cliche to say you don't know where the next goal is going to come from, but they haven't scored in five games. He said what? Here's one. I've got to get this one out with a straight face. It's a, the referee's report on Diego Costa. And it said, in the 28th minute, number 19 Diego Costa was sent off for the following reason. Saying to me loudly in the following terms, I sh- on your mother. I sh- on your mother. I don't think Diego Costa said it exactly like I did. I think there was probably a bit more aggression in it. He copped an eight-game ban, um, four of which was for the incident, four of which was for his foul-mouthed tirade. <laughs> Where's the line, Craig? Uh, how, how far can you push the boundaries in this game? Well, he's obviously pushed it uh, a little too far, in my opinion. I, I think, uh, you know, we've all come through through uh, eras or generations where, uh, there, you know, there's fierce competition, a little bit of banter. Um, but, th- you know, I think when it starts to get a little bit personal, um, you know, then, then you do run into the difficulties like... Diego Costa here. Uh, I certainly think he's crossed the boundary. It's, it's you know you don't get away with that sort of stuff uh, nowadays. Um, and when we're trying to, or certainly here in Australia, trying to to, to grow the game, um, it's 
it's not really a good look. Um, so for me, being dealt with and as harshly as, as what it has been, um, and for what was actually said, like I said, is a little bit personal, or very much so personal, uh, for me is the right decision. I mean, I think we can all understand that, um, you know, there are situations in a game um, where you can lose the plot. You know, we've, we've all been in heated discussions, debates and all the rest, maybe even uh, um, verbally abuse people, but um, certainly in this case, I'd say, say what you want, but uh, leave the mothers out of it. <laughs> yeah, but I, I think, you know, that just, yeah, the... It being personal, I, I think you, you know, a great referee will distinguish between frustration. You know, sometimes I've sworn at a referee as well, um, but but not because I, you know, it was, you know, meant personally at him, but more of the situation. And I think, you know, that's where the line is. You know, like Craig said, it's it's when it gets personal, and and uh, you know that that's that's where you you, you step in and 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 deal, deal these uh, suspensions. The thirtieth of suspension of his career, and what I was amazing at Chelsea was for a long time, particularly in that Premiership winning season, he managed to avoid getting sent off. So he was doing all those dark arts and managed to get away with it. But now it's almost like he's kept paying up for lost time. All right, over in uh, France, in Ligue 1, where Monaco is still uh, in, in dire straits, Alexander Golovin has uh, dished the dirt on Thierry Henry. He said he would get nervous and frustrated with the players in training and become abusive. He would come out and show us how to play, then even get angry and start playing himself, take the ball off me, he'd scream. Players were mostly calm, but maybe they were also in a bit of shock. This shows how hard it is to make the transition from player to great player to manager, doesn't it? Yeah, I think so. I mean, we, we see a lot of... Um very good football players and, and people just assume that, that that transition in terms of becoming a very good football manager is um, is seamless and is a given um, but certainly you know that that's not the case and I think when you when you get these top talents Thierry Henry was a, a fantastic player and sometimes what can happen is you know you you expect everybody to be able to do what you could do and it's like if you can't then kind of come down to their level to be able to drag you up as a as a football team and, a, and, a, and as a professional then you have the comments and the the concerns like like we uh, we see here it's not it's not the first time uh, you know this this one it's Thierry Henry I've heard that about um you know some other players and it's, it's hard it's it's management it's it's finding that that balance yeah but surprise it but it's surprising as well wouldn't you say I mean the fact that he's had experience with the Belgian national team he's had time to work his way into management but, I mean, you know, with situations like that, you can also lose the players very quickly, can't you? Yeah, but, you know, that, that is management. It's man management. Yeah. And, and, you know, from being a player where you just have to focus on yourself and it's all about self-improvement and obviously you have to fit in the team environment, you know, it's suddenly you have to, you know, you have to sort of step out of that and, and, and look at it from a different perspective. And it's the same when I've, I'm a dad, you know. Sometimes my son sits there and he kind of, I'm just like, get out of the way, I'll bloody do it for you but it's it's not going to help his development it's not going to you know it's not going to be great for his uh you know mental state you know you undermine the players by doing that and and eventually you lose respect because they'll they'll see you were a player great we got great respect for that but now you're a manager and and you know it's it's a different role and in in, in a dressing room in a football dressing room it's brutal yeah like you lose one two players and if they're the wrong players uh, in terms of their influential players, you've lost you've lost a team uh, in, in in one day. So it, it's certainly there's an art to management, um, and it's you know it, it's about delivering uh, a, a good message, 
good playing philosophy, but more importantly, being able to, to man-manage is very, very important. This explains why things continued to go south when the supposed big star and former hero was coming back. But just on the same topic, a different quote from this one from Kevin De Bruyne about his time at Chelsea, where he said, I only spoke to Jose Mourinho twice. And what that article on the BBC continued to go on with was one of those times was Mourinho reading out his stats to him in comparison to the other players who had played more than him, showing him what he was doing not to be in the team. And that was the catalyst for De Bruyne leaving. With those two comments in mind, I'd love to know from you guys, a manager in your career who actually got that balance so perfect with the man management or um, with the way they approach things. Ah, it, it's 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 hard. Um, you know, I've I've had managers who got it totally wrong, and you know, a bit bit like that. You know, where, where you know you start. You know, I think great managers they know their players, they know their individual qualities, they know their. You know, some people need to coddle, some players need to kick up their ass, and some people needs to be motivated by by some of this. You know, if he had done this to to the right kind of player, uh, you know, if. if I would have, I would have probably responded to that and said, okay, you know, I, I see that. I, I need to do better. Other players, you know, would, you know, it would destroy them you know, because their confidence will dip and, and it won't help them. So I think, you know, the managers that they just treat everyone the same. I, I haven't had Mourinho, so I'm I'm not sure if if that's his management style. But but you know, they're just a thing of the past. Today, you you you, you gotta you gotta know your players and you gotta man manage every single one differently. But I mean, every manager has a different character, and, and certainly, um, I'd have to say Otmar Hitzfeld, who had a uh, Borussia Dortmund, had the perfect mix really, and uh, he was a guy. He was more uh, a psychologist. He, I mean, you could read players' minds, you know? So that was really impressive, the fact that... And, you know, we all say you have to treat players equally. It wasn't the case there. You know, there were some players that need a kick up the backside. There were other players that he used to call up and, and, uh, and meet up in a restaurant to have a chat with. And uh, that was his formula for success, really. I mean, the fact that he was uh, just so good on the man management side of things. But you, then you get different coaches. I mean, I had uh, a guy at 1860 Munich, uh, Werner Laurent, who just used to shout at us, you know. We'd, uh, we'd lose games. I remember losing the derby game against Bayern Munich. We'd rock up the next day and, and we'd be running in snow, like punishment training, things like that, you know. So um, you, as a player, sure, I mean, uh, you can complain about a different... Uh, coaching styles and all the rest, but at the end of the day, you're there to perform. And uh, and if you don't like the manager, doesn't get you very far. If exactly you're complaining, right. does it? <laughs> no. uh, that's that's for sure. Uh, look, I was I was lucky enough. Uh, I guess two managers come to mind for me. Uh, Terry Venables was one when I was probably a little bit younger, and and he, his knowledge of football was was incredible. Um, only got the opportunity to work briefly at Crystal Palace and. Sometimes as a, as a football player, as a professional, you can fall into to bad habits. Um, but he was fantastic in, in seeing those bad habits and coming in and re-coaching and, and getting you back on track again. Uh, so for me, that was uh, something that really impressed me about Terry Venables. I would have loved to have worked with him a, a lot longer. His time at Crystal Palace uh, and, and the national team obviously wasn't uh, that long, but really enjoyed my time. And Dick Avocat, but Dick Avocat's... The, the relationship, um, it's it's based on trust, yeah? Like, eventually, a, a manager's going to test you. They have to test you because are you going to be able to deliver for me? That's what it, that's what it boils down to. It's, you're a professional. So, ended up having a really good um, player-coach relationship with Dick Avocat that was, that was earned um, by how I performed. Um, once that trust was there, then uh, our, our relationship and, and my football probably blossomed. Uh, j- just one more on Hitzfeld uh, because I... I 
I saw that during my time uh, at Dortmund. When I first got there that first year, he was actually going around to um, the players that wouldn't be playing on the weekend and explaining to them why they weren't in the first 11. He did that for a year and a half and then just completely stopped. And they asked him, actually, um, you know, we've heard you're not doing that anymore. Well, well, what's the reason for that? And he just said, look, it just took too much energy to go around and explain to players why I'm not playing. So in the end, it was a case of, look, just take it or leave it. I'm the manager. I do things my way. And if you're not playing, um, there's a reason for it. But it's not up to me to come around and explain it to you. And that transparency, did that go, how did that go down? It, it was no issue. It was no issue. I mean, you know, a big thing as well is how a team's playing. If you're getting the results positive, then it develops a whole different flow, doesn't it? And uh, that was the case. So uh, no one had an issue with it. Oh, here's a good yarn. Barnsley's Ashley Barnes. Well, it wasn't a good yarn for him. He was sent off on the weekend for kissing Cardiff's Joe Bennett on the nose in a 2-0 win. That was courtesy of Chris Wood's brace. What was the strangest sending off you saw or involved in in your career? <laughs> I was involved uh, in a game uh, for Aston Villa against Newcastle and... Uh uh, at one point, uh, Joey, Joey Barton uh, and <laughs> Kian Dyer. The, the serene Joey Barton. Yeah. Uh, no, was it? Uh, yeah. Uh, and they uh, um, suddenly had a bus stop in the middle of the field. And, oh, was that Lee Boyer? Oh, that was oh, Lee, Lee Boyer. That was Lee Boyer. Lee, that was Lee Boyer. Lee Boyer. Uh, and they had a bus stop in the middle of the field and uh, suddenly two red cars were shown. And, and we were laughing. Uh, we ended up winning that game. And, uh, but it, it was, that was surreal because I, I'd never seen anything like that before. Yeah, I've seen arguments, but uh, you know, players fighting in, in, in public and, and in a game, uh, you know, that's... Uh, that was unheard of for me, uh, but, uh, you know, great. That was, that was, <laughs> that was extraordinary. The, the strangest to me, because I, I still haven't gotten over it, was uh, getting sent off against Leeds United in a Champions League playoff. Um, it wasn't as bizarre as, uh, as uh, uh, players fighting on the pitch, but um, so I, I basically slid past Ian Hart. That was the first leg away at Ellen Road, and all of a sudden the referees come over and showed me a red card. I've looked at my teammate because I just couldn't believe it, and I said, look... Did he just show me a red card? I just can't believe it. He goes, yeah, he did. Um, so I'm walking off. I've gone in, had a shower, come back out, and the broadcast from that day has basically called me across and said, look, we have to show you this. So they showed me the replay of it, um, a special angle from behind, and, and basically said, look, we're sorry. But we don't do – players don't do that sort of thing, dive in this country, so I really apologise, and we're sure you'll get off, uh, the, you know, the protest UEFA. So the protest went to your wife. They came back, wrote a letter and basically said, look, we realise it's nothing, but uh, you're going to get an automatic suspension anyway and miss the second leg. I'm going to go Google that afterwards and look that up. Do I'm, it. That's harsh. Watch harsh. the vision. The vision's on YouTube wow. as well. Wow. <laughs> Interesting. All right, here's one more. Kingsley Coman and Robert Lewandowski, well, they came to blows at, at Bayern training last week. The club admitted it. It was there for all to see. Um, and in the end, apparently it was because Lewandowski had all built up and snowballed because Coman wasn't giving him the service that he wanted and he, he thought he was a bit of a selfish player and then took it out with him on the, on the training pitch. Look, hasn't hurt them in the title race, Ned, but what's this all about and uh, how does this play a part in Bayern's incredible late revival in, in, in the title race? You know, I mean, I, from personal experience, there's been a lot of those cases of training where players just, you know, get frustrated and, and you get into a... Usually these, these events are broken up anyway, which was the case here. Um, I'm hearing that uh, someone did take a swing before it was broken up. Boateng came over and basically stopped it. Um, but, you know, back, in, back when I was playing, there were a lot of these occasions. I mean, I was involved in a few as well, but usually teammates come over and, and, and you cool down and, and you go home. So it, it, 
I mean, the fact that, you know, uh, Bayern are doing so well now in the Bundesliga and are back on top, it just shows that, uh, how hungry they are. And they're way off the pace, yeah. but there's still uh, too much quality there. Um, for them uh, not to win the title. Competitive attention, are they going to win the title? Uh, yeah, I believe so. I believe so. I think Dortmund, uh, although they played some really football, good football this season, they just don't have um, the squad that Bayern does, and they've got a lot of depth in there as well. All right, gents, well, we're going to wrap up with a little bit of a Gavin Gagenpod favourite. You boys have, have had, a, had a crack at this with your teammates five aside. We've got uh, Round Robin with, with Moore, Sorensen, Ocon, Bridges, Wilkshire. It's time to throw Zelich into the mix and see who wins this coveted crown by the end of the season, Ned. What have you got for us? Uh, so, obviously, I need a goalkeeper. <laughs> Stefan Kloss, who I played with at Dortmund. Uh, Maury, Maury had him at Rangers as well. Uh, I've got Julio Cesar, the big Brazilian, who, who I was with uh, one year at Dortmund. He played in the 86 World Cup, was famous for hitting the post, actually, in the penalty shootout against France. Uh, Thomas Hessler, uh, playmaker, played with him in 1860 Munich. What a player he was. Incredible guy. Just incredible watching this guy training as well. Uh, Stefan Schapwizart, striker, who I played with at Dortmund. I'll never forget the first... I went there straight after the Barcelona Olympic. The first two, three weeks of training, he was absolutely destroying me. Yeah? And, and I'd never seen a striker with his skill in tight areas. Just amazing, amazing. And the last one I'm going to have to put in, even though we didn't actually... I was injured uh, during that phase when, when he came to the club, a double Shuka who came to 1860 Munich. Watching this guy at training daily... For three months, I was injured. I was just getting treatment, so getting out and, and watching this guy train, unbelievable. And, you know, what he's, what he's shown on the world stage as well. Best scene in the house. What yeah. Best favourite story or yeah. moment that you saw with him? With Shuka? With Shuka? Uh, oh, jeez. Best story. Yeah. You know, I mean, just having watched this guy on TV and then all of a sudden he's... And he's played for big clubs at Real Madrid and Arsenal. All of a sudden he's rocking up at 1860 Munich. But when we all heard it, we thought this, this has got to be a joke. He's not coming here, surely. Yeah? But um, he turned up and, and was really good with, with all the other guys as well. So down to earth. And, uh, you know, I have to say it was just a great experience in that period um, to basically see, you know, someone that you watched on TV for such a long time to be able to experience firsthand uh, what sort of quality player he was and a great guy as well. Absolutely brilliant stuff. Well, James, we've run out of time and basically before we turn tomorrow's punditry into the sunburnt couch, we're going to actually have to move on here because we're, we're frying here at Optus HQ. It's been a lot of fun. Reminder to everyone out there, if you listen to this on Wednesday, of course, we've got Thursday, the massive lineup that we spoke about. Friday morning, it's the return leg of all the Europa League clashes with Napoli hosting Arsenal. Can they overturn that deficit? And there's also a couple of other tasty games too. Benfica, Eintracht, Frankfurt's one. I'll be keeping a very close eye on and then all the Premier League action on the weekend. We're going to get some shade as always. And a shower maybe, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> Do you need a shower? <laughs> I'm roasting you. You've here. got the shade. You're, you should be alright. <laughs> I'm going to move into the palm tree and have a hike. Gents, thanks for coming in. It's been a long morning but a lot of fun. Thanks very much. Thanks. Thanks. So, thank you. Alright, and as always everyone, until the next Gag and Pod, enjoy your football. 
That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.